Welcome to the podcast at thatguitarlover.com. I'm Ross Chevalier. Hey gang, following the glut of posts, videos, and such about Fender's, well, new for Fender, multi-effects unit, I wanted to take a bit of time to talk about defining your own effects strategy. First, whatever methodology or methodologies that you choose that work for you, it or they are the right one or ones. However, a lot of the McMarketing foo-foo dust can be confusing and disenchanting to the person who puts his or her hard-earned cash on the line when building a rig. The oldest and therefore most common model is the classic pedal board. A pedal board starts with typically one pedal and may grow big or remain very simple. Depends on the user. Real-world pedal boards tend to be built to suit the musical needs of the musician first, and so do not contain pedals that the musician has no need for. They can be built with very inexpensive pedals, with mid-price pedals, or with ultra-expensive boutique pedals. Although I'm not precisely sure what that means when it's at home with its feet up. Ultimately, the pedal board has to deliver the sounds that the musician needs for her or his requirements and nothing more. Applying an effect to boring music does not make it better, it just makes it boring with effects added. It's like a photograph. A crappy photo is not made better by adding a filter. It's still a crappy photo, but with a filter. The most common pedal added in the context of a pedal board is some kind of dirt pedal. We see those sold first. That could be an overdrive, a distortion, or a fuzz. While some might argue that a tuner should be your first pedal, the people making those recommendations tend to work in guitar shops, and they've had to spend their days hearing out-of-tune renditions of songs played at enormously ridiculous volume. However you choose to start, once you have a couple of pedals, you look to find a way to keep them together, typically on some type of frame, such as the many options available from Pedal Train, or from my current favorite, the Diodario XPND or Expand system. Both systems are great, and it's really a question of how many pedals that you actually use that will help you determine the best frame for your needs. The thing about pedal boards is that they're constantly changing, well, we know there's a never-ending influx of new pedals. Some promise to replicate the sound of pedals from nearly 60 years ago. Some try to improve on existing sounds, and new technologies may offer better options than their predecessors. The point is that pedal people tend to try new pedals, new sounds, and will over time change out pedals on their boards to suit their changing needs. These folks, however, also need to think about power supplies and patch cables and maybe even switchers or, wow, MIDI controllers if the rig is complex and they have to switch a number of settings quickly for a new song. The next most common model is the multi-effects unit. They've been around for some time and they come in two fundamental flavors. There are those devices that offer a number of different sounding effects from a variety of different effect genres 
and those who do all that, but also add in simulations of different amplifiers and different cabinets. The Line 6 Helix is the best known of these latter devices, and something like a Line 6 HX Stomp could be an example of the former. If we consider the recent news, Fender's new Tone Master Pro is of the latter type. And sadly, in the interest of increasing complexity and buyer confusion, those second types of devices are often labeled modelers because they have pre-programmed sounds that model an amplifier or several amplifiers and a cabinet or more likely several different cabinets. As a generalization, the effects in multi-effectors are simulations of popular standalone pedals. A simulation of the Boss Distortion Plus might be called the Chieftain Distortion on your multi-effector. It's not an exact clone of the actual pedal. It's going to be a set of algorithms processed by a digital signal processor to get close, at least that's the intent, to the sound of the real pedal. In my lengthy experience, these algorithms never get it perfect, but as we might be inclined to say, they're often close enough for rock and roll. Moreover, no one playing live is doing a live switch between the real pedal and the simulation, so the only pertinent question, the only one that's relevant, is whether you like the sound of one of these virtual pedals. For those who have a lot of experience with the real thing, they often will tend to find the sound of effects in a multi-effect system to be a form of lunch bag letdown. But those without that experience, or bias, can be and often are very happy with what's in the box and find the simplicity very pleasing. Moreover, these DSP-based multi-effectors often have the ability to record the positions of the virtual settings as presets. So it's super easy to get the same sound back at a later time with the push of a button or tap of a foot switch. But multi-effectors can take things a step further. A real advantage of this type of device is that it removes that physical pedal chain. So you can save different sets of pedals in different orders to get to that expected pedal combination and sound setup, we call it a sound set, with a single tap of a foot switch. That can mean a whole new set of pedals in a different order with a different amp sim and a different cab sim, one tap. While it can be a lot of work to set this up, if you are playing in a band that does covers, being able to bring the sound of different songs active with a single foot switch tap is a huge advantage. That's what expensive and complex MIDI switchers do for the pedal board person. The more complex the changes between songs, the more practical the multi-effects unit with sound set presets becomes. Add to this the ability to not have to carry any amplifiers or cabinets with the units, such as a Helix or Tonemaster Pro, your touring rig just got a whole lot simpler. You take the line out, go straight to the PA, which has to be there to support the vocalist anyway, no access cables, no batteries to die, no tap dancing on a board, and the fastest possible sound set changes, and that could include going from a Vox AC30 sound with certain effects for the first tune, 
to a Marshall 1959 plexi sound for the next tune, and then a Fender Twin Reverb with, you know, swamps of 60s reverb for that third tune. That's a huge deal to gigging musicians in some cases, and particularly for those playing in bar bands, wedding bands, and worship bands, where there isn't allowed a lot of time between songs. However, the sound of the amplifiers and the cabinets can be somewhere between great and horrible, and that will depend on how the amplifier and the cabinets and the microphones that were used were profiled. Profiling well is a lot of hard work, and to be blunt, most of the amp cab models that I've heard are, on their best day, pretty average. This is equally true for the Helix and the Tone Master Pro and, frankly, every other amp modeler that I've tried. By the way, there are amp cabinet modelers for the pedal board person too. They tend to be much more limited in their amp and cabinet options, but those limited options do tend to sound better, particularly if the pedal maker is also the amp maker. Examples might be the Victory amp pedals, the Blackstar amp pedals, and that boss unit whose Roland Jazz Chorus Simulation is bang on the money. It sounds like a proper JC120. The important thing to note about any amp or cab sim is that they should not go into a guitar amplifier at all. They are already an amplifier in a cabinet. They should thus only ever feed a recording interface or, if you're playing live, a full-range flat response speaker system. Some makers of multi-effects make their own FRFR speakers, like Fender is doing. And others will just say, look, there's lots of FRFR systems. Pick one that you like and go ahead. Whichever way works most effectively for you is your best route. A profiler is different from a modeler. A profiler has the ability to make a profile from an amplifier, from cabinets, and from microphones in a variety of combinations. The best profiles are built based on lots and lots of sample data. There are simple models that might be based just on one amp with one group of settings playing into a single cabinet with one microphone, and that microphone's only ever set in a single position in relation to the speaker cabinet. Simple models are simple. There is no chance of option paralysis because there are none to a very limited number of options available. However, that's not what the people who want profilers want. Profilers can also allow end users to build profiles of their own gear and make those profiles as rich as they want to. Each profiler system maker will tout the advantages of their profiling model, and good profilers like the Camper and the NeuroQuad Cortex as examples get updates as the profiling model gets improved. Now understand that modelers have used profiling technology, but they don't make it available to you. They'll talk a big game about how great their profiling technology is, but you have no control over it. Once we understand that, we can also then see that these profilers are also rich multi-effects units. But modelers, which can be rich multi-effects units, aren't profilers. 
Thus, a profiler will typically be the most powerful option and often the most expensive, but it doesn't necessarily have to be so. You can buy a neural quad cortex for the same amount as a Fender Tone Master Pro or a Line 6 Helix. The Tone Master Pro and the Line 6 Helix are fine products, but only the Quad Cortex can make profiles. Now, if you're never going to profile, maybe that doesn't matter to you. But a profiler will also have access to hundreds or even thousands of independent profiles for you to try, use, and occasionally they're required up to be purchased. A good profile is a lot of work. A lousy profile is easy. You may find that you get what you pay for when it comes to profiles. In a live scenario, the profiler can provide all the same services as a high-end modeler in terms of sound sets, such as one tap, full preset loads and such. But the real advantage is that the profiler in use can be the gear that you actually own. Not just the amp and cabinet, but also the microphones and how you would place them if you're recording or playing live. And of course it includes your effects. A profile can even be built separately for different versions of di with different guitars. Let me explain. I love the sound of two rock amplifiers, but their cost says that it's unlikely that I will ever own one. However, I can buy or find online a two rock cabinet and amp profile that was created with a Stratocaster and another version created with Les Paul. We as guitarists know that amps and cabinets respond differently to different inputs. So I have on my Quad Cortex and on my Kemper multiple sound sets for a two rock classic with a two rock two by 12 cabinet, but profiles made with different guitars. That means different settings. I can also load the profiles for individual pedals in the Quad Cortex because as of this writing, pedal profiles are best built with the Quad Cortex profiling system. The nice thing about profilers is that they will change over time. For example, I've had my Kemper for years, but Kemper just updated their profiling software to a new system called Liquid Profiling that does an incredible job of maintaining the true sound of the amplifier as you make changes to the controls of that virtual amplifier. It's a massive change and I can hear clearly the difference between a liquid profile and an older one. While I use my devices predominantly for recording, gigging musicians of a particular nature will use a profiler live because it delivers the real sound of their real equipment right to the PA. Mark Knopfler did an entire tour using only a Kemper and his guitars. Josh Scott of JHS Pedals finally let slip what many had suspected. He demos real pedals, but he runs them in and out of a Kemper, and the Kemper is providing the sounds of the amp in the cabinet. It sounded great to him, and no member of his audience ever came back and said that the sound was fake. No one went up to Mark Knopfler and said, gee, it would have been so much better if you're playing with a real amp. Let's consider that you're playing a wedding. Your gear at this point is your guitar and your quad cortex, or your Kemper, or your Axe effects. 
carried in your backpack. That device plugs right into the PA. You need less floor space. The setup is incredibly simple. The teardown is incredibly fast. And when you need to change the entire sound set between tunes, it's a tap. While the pedal purist in the back may shun you, the audience doesn't know, and more importantly, doesn't care. So as we close the episode, choose the kind of kit that suits you best. If you like simple pedals that you can put manually in whatever order you want, good for you. And if as part of that you want to spend 700 bucks on a clone of a 60s area fuzz that in today's dollars still costs less than 15 bucks to build, well, that's your money too. If you find that that classic pedal board suits you best, go for it. However, if you find a multi-effector that has amp and cab sims a better choice, well, then do that. Or if you want to take your own rig wherever you play and have it fit in nothing bigger than a backpack, a profile is your answer. Spare yourself all the hype and bullshit and choose gear that suits your ears and your required outcomes and let somebody else be the fish on the hook. I hope that you found the episode valuable. Thank you, as always, for listening. Please leave a comment or send in a question. I read and respond to all. For the podcast at thatguitarlover.com, I'm Ross Chevalier, and I bid you peace.